Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. This week, John McClain drops into the studio to help us develop our theology of the family. Now, as much as ever, we need a clear definition of what the family is and how the family should act within itself, the surrounding culture, and in the church. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. Today, we have the great pleasure of having as our guest uh, the Reverend John McLean. John was a pastor in the Presbyterian Church of Australia for seven years, and he now serves as vice principal of Christ College Sydney, which is a training institute for men going in for the ministry uh, in the PCA. That's the PCA down under, not Todd's mm-hmm. mob uh, mm. up here. <laughs> John, it's great to have you with us. I believe you're Thank not you. an Anglican, is that correct? I'm, I'm not an Anglican. Yeah, no. We need to make that very clear. John is not an Anglican. Uh, the reason we've asked John to join us today is he's been doing some biblical theological work on the family and the family's place in God's mission. That's clearly an area where uh, there's great flux in contemporary Western culture. What is the family? What constitutes a family? What is the purpose of a family vis-a-vis uh, individualism or the governments? There are all kinds of questions that are dominating political discourse at the moment that track back to what do we think the family is. So it's great to have you with us, John. Um, perhaps you'd like to kick off by giving us a, a, a brief summary of why is it important that we address the issue of the biblical nature of the right. family at this point in time. Yeah, well, I think for exactly the reasons you were talking about, Carl, that um, definitions of family and uh, are under question and uh, Christians are having to think that can't, we can't just pick up on the cultural consensus around us. We have to think for ourselves uh, why family matters and what it looks like. Uh, and, and then to think about that in terms of God's mission as well, uh, we're also at a stage where I think Christians are wondering exactly what mission looks like in yeah. mm-hmm. in the modern world. And yeah. so putting those two together seems important. Mm-hmm. John, yeah. how would you define exactly God's mission? Right. Uh, it's, it's, so it's certainly first of all what God's doing rather than right. first of all what we're doing. And um, you know, Hamilton in his book on biblical theology defines it as God, God glorifying himself mm-hmm. through his work of salvation through judgment. Right. Um, and so it's that whole big biblical sweep of all that God's doing, uh, redeeming his people and his world. Well, when we look at um, the Great Commission given to the church, it's God's you know, redemptive kingdom being expanded through making new disciples through the church. Then how does this mission play out in the families right. that make up the church? Yeah. yeah. So even when we go back into the Old Testament, or perhaps it's most obvious to us when we go back to the Old Testament, that... God established his people of Israel in families and family. It, he related to Israel as families and through generations. You know, and the covenant was to, first of all, with Abraham and his descendants and then with Israel and their descendants. So God was relating to Israel through families, but also preserving Israel through their families. And so the faith was to be taught, you know, Deuteronomy 6, to be taught by parents to their children, the parents were to model godliness and to uh, so a, and worship took place within family, beyond family as well, but within family. Um, 
and I think that flows over into the New Testament as well. Mm-hmm. So you see the same sort of thing in the household codes of parents to raise their children, knowing the Lord and in the instruction of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the way through, one of the key ways in which God's people flourish is in families. You know, our, our nuclear families are so different from you know the Old Testament right. type families. Yep. And one pushback that I hear a lot is from singles in the church who feel very excluded with all the teaching about marriage and parenting and families. Like, how would you see their part in all this now? And, and you know, God's family is the household of God right. in the church. Yeah. So I think we've got to both keep saying it's both and. Mm-hmm. Uh, God establishes his church, but he doesn't establish his church uh, in the New Testament and remove families out of the picture. Right. Families are still part of how he works and the church is how he works, and we shouldn't collapse one into the other, but we shouldn't just shouldn't ignore one for the sake of the other either. We just have to mm-hmm. keep seeing both, and that helps to show why there's where there's a place for singles, certainly in the church, and that they should feel entirely included in the church. But also, as the church is made up, depending on which church, largely of families, mm-hmm. um, those families need to be hospitable and open and welcoming one another right. and other members of the church into their family life. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. see, John, a kind of Trinitarian aspect of this? I mean, the one that God exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's community there. And, of course, in the Old Testament, God is described in hospitable terms, but often in, in family hospitable terms yeah. as well. He's, he, you know, he completes the widow. He looks after the sojourner. He, he, he looks after the orphan. Do you see that as right. greatly significant? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so... All of those ways of speaking are probably the primary ways of communicating God's covenant relationship mm. with his people, both uh, the Father and the Son, but also um, the idea of adoption, so that all of us are, in one sense, orphans who are adopted mm. into God's family, um, as well as being the one, God being the one who protects the widow. Yep. Interesting, and maybe you're flying a bit of a kite at this point, but would you, would you be prepared to say that family is, is almost part of the image of God on that perspective, or is that pushing it too far, do you think? <laughs> so what I, ha- what I would say is it's, first of all, in the family, that image of God flourishes. Okay, right? yeah, so nice way of putting it. If, this is thinking perhaps more theologically than just exegeting the texts on image of God, but I think image of God is about being relational mm. and it's about being moral, so having res- moral responsibilities. It's about being worshipful and also ruling the world for right. God. And all of that happens, first of all, in families. You know? So yeah. mm-hmm. that's, that's our most intimate relationships. That's where our first moral responsibilities are. So it's, mm. you know, Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Of course, the answer is actually he was right. <laughs> that was his mm-hmm. you know th- there was his perhaps the first moral responsibility he should have been aware of uh, in the in genesis the patriarchs worship in families uh, and then of course living in god's image and ruling the world for god was to be done uh, eve was made as a helper mm. and it's as it's in that family structure that all those elements of image yeah. of god yeah. are made now that's not so much saying what it's that family makes us into God's image, but it's the setting in which right. image of God, first of all, flourishes. One way that I think that we might um, tarnish that image, I feel, is, so, like, I know I struggle with this. We become so consumed in our nuclear families where God is an outgoing God and a right. life-giving God. And, like, back to that singles part of it, sometimes yeah. I think we leave them out instead of 
imaging that outgoingness and that life givingness coming out from sure. our family and and we're kind of turned in on ourselves and you know making it to uh, volleyball practice and you know whatever musical instrument they're involved in and all these different schedules there or even youth group and the missions in the church and the cleanup day and sometimes I think we get we get so turned in on the family and we're not imaging God as, as well as we could be right in a life-giving way I don't yeah. know if I'm explaining no, that well but I, I mean I guess it's one of those truths that's generally general isn't it the it's often the best things yes. in life mm-hmm. that are we're most able to pervert uh-huh. right. <laughs> right and family clearly is a great blessing of God right but it also makes it very easy for it to become an mm-hmm. idol it's very easy for us to invest too much in it, yeah. to be so obsessed with our own, our family, own family instead right. of mm-hmm. seeing family as a way of serving right. others. Um, so, I mean, as I've been thinking about this topic the last few weeks, I've been thinking both about how church can sometimes trump and overwhelm family and uh-huh. church mm-hmm. life is so busy that yeah, we're good. robbing practically from family. About that. Yeah. But then we can go the other way and sometimes people are so obsessed with their own family timetable time and their own mm. family events that they that that they don't have time to invest in church yeah. so it's, it just has to be both ends it's I've been struggling just with in those parameters I feel like I let a single woman down in my church who needed more community but it's so hard to um, invite her in on my crazy chaotic right. life mm-hmm. and think that she would even want to be a part of that where I used to do that a little better with like the youth in some mm. ways and I guess I felt more like they liked to be included in those kind of right. things. But. I think that there can be a rhythm of life element there though, mm-hmm. as well. It's easier sometimes to welcome sort of new members of the family at a point when you've dispatched the old members of the family. <laughs> <laughs> put it that way. You yeah, know, when my I'm kids so were smaller, it was it was tougher style. when your kids are smaller. But yeah. once the kids are grown up, mm-hmm. then you're able to expand the love of your family to to encompass That's others, a good which point, is there are different true seasons delight. where you're yeah, more yeah. available than others. John, you mentioned. Um, covenant earlier appropriately as we talk about the family and I wonder how, how would you how would you explain you know briefly to to one of our Baptist brothers or sisters in Christ <laughs> why it is that Presbyterians believe that we are to welcome our children um, into the visible covenant right. community there we go that's it God's mission yeah, well uh, it does yes yeah yeah um I guess the Baptist position would often you know, really emphasize the difference between the way things operate in the old mm-hmm. and in the new. Right. Uh, but, I mean, what we've just been talking about, about family and church sitting alongside each other and working together, that's the pattern in the old mm-hmm. of God's people made up of families, but not... It's not reducible to families. Yeah. You know, right. There's still yeah. judges and kings and prophets and priests, and there's so there was families were celebrated the feasts together, but they also had to go to the temple to celebrate mm-hmm. the feasts. And the same kind of both end is there in the New Testament. There's the church and the family sitting together, and so it actually seems to me the big change between old and new is actually is about Israel being a nation compared right. to the church not being, but family and church sitting together. Um, are the same, and then this, so just as in the Old Testament, the believer, the children of God's people are part of His people and receive that sign of circumcision. So mm-hmm. in the New Testament, they receive the sign of baptism. Yeah, God never He sets this precedent 
whereby we welcome our children into the covenant community. And he never, for I think rather obvious reasons, never right. rescinds that, yeah. that, that precedent. And, and one of the observations, because I was raised Southern Baptist, one of the observations I have with some of my Baptist brothers and sisters, and they acknowledge it, is that even though, you know, they reject the, that kind of continuity between the old and the new, they still can't help but treat the children of believers a little different. Mm. As, uh, you know, in prayer, the, especially. I absolutely. They it, pray as if they're the, in the covenant. Right. They know, they know, even without articulating it, that God has been um, particularly gracious to this child to give this child to a yes. believing home. Sure. And so, you know, and I remember doing, when I was a Southern Baptist, doing lots of baby dedications, yeah, yeah. which are just dry <laughs> baptisms. Um, you know, it is right. going back to Samuel and Samuel are being presented and then just stop right before Samuel received the sign of the covenant. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but this idea that they, my Baptist brothers and sisters, understand that there's got to be something different about the child right. of a believer. Yeah. And so you have to be in a massively consistent Baptist to say to your child, you know, one day you'll be able to pray our Father in heaven, yes. right? You, know, you can't do yes, that yet. You can't do it yet. Yeah. That, you know, I, I think I mean, there's occasionally... Would, be so bold, um, would they be so bold well, to see that? Yeah. I'm not sh- occasionally there are very consistent Baptists yeah. who just keep evangelizing their children, right. mm-hmm. but normally they end up... Mm-hmm. I mean, I evangelize my children sure. all the time. Right. But, but, but I but, can but treat you, them as if they're in yeah. the covenant but, family of but God. But that's what a responsible pastor evangelizes his church all the time, exactly. right? Because we preach right. the gospel right. to God's people. Right. God's right. children. And we still do that. Yeah, Call people to, to the significance of their baptism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, John, how would this, uh, your theology of the family, affect Christian worship, practical Christian worship on a, a weekly gathered church basis? Not so much family worship, but church on a Sunday. Uh, so the implication is going to be that we want to express the fact that all of that that the children are part of God's church and God's worshiping church as well. Um, now confession time. In most Presbyterian churches in Australia, we have a pattern of children going out to Sunday school. That's the terrible Scottish tradition. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> terrible <laughs> Scottish tradition. Oh. Um, yeah. But but I think even if you have that, and obviously changing a church away from that, mm-hmm. especially if that's it's, what all the churches around are doing. It's yeah. pretty difficult. Right. It's yeah. very but difficult. even if you have that, there are things you can do to to keep reinforcing for the children and their parents mm-hmm. of the whole church that you know, this may be a matter of convenience, yeah. but the reality is we are God's people together. Yeah. You could have um, some of them kidnapped from Sunday school, <laughs> <laughs> discourage parents from sending them there. And, uh, so one yeah. of the things that I've done, and I mean, this is not, and I mean, I think this is still suboptimal, but to say to people during school holidays we don't have the kids going out but that's not the the idea is not that you then don't come to church because there's no kids mm-hmm. ministry right but to say look we'll make an extra effort to make it as easy together. as possible for you and your children to be mm-hmm. there so we make sure that you know we're actually explaining to the kids what we're doing in church and you don't show a few clips of Veggie Tales or <laughs> no no we don't do that. <laughs> okay. but it can be you know thoughtful right in the in the incorporated into the preaching some too i mean yeah. sometimes you know a sermon can just sound like it's directed only to the adults correct mm-hmm. yeah. and to have the whole congregation with all its generations in mind when you're preaching yeah. i think is a big part of yeah. that too is including the children in there one of the things that we see a lot here i don't know what it's like in australia but one of the things we see a lot here is that um youth sports children's sports have now become i mean 
just Sunday has become absorbed right into that, which wasn't at all the case when I was a kid. Such a battle right now. Yep, wasn't at all the case when I was a kid. But now you have situations where kids can be playing um, a particular sport almost year-round, taking up all of Sunday. um, Mm -hmm. And so, and oftentimes in our churches, in our good churches, in Presbyterian churches, we have families who, if the kid has a game, that takes Precedence the, the, over worship. Yep, that takes it, right. and it's just never even yeah. questioned. And and the whole rationale is, it's because I love my family. I'm trying to serve yeah. my family. Yeah. Now, I think there's a lot of other types of issues, but that's <laughs> oftentimes what his voice is. Well, you know, this is this is family, yeah. and yeah. you know, God wants me to, you know, spend time with my family. Yeah. So that would I mean that that's exactly the kind of issue I'm thinking about. That it's we've got to have both end, and we've yeah. got to be sensitive to the times when our commitment to family may actually be mm-hmm. un, really unhelpful right. and an excuse for, for, mm-hmm. for, for not looking mm-hmm. after our family as well as we can. Right. So in the long run, it's a matter of convincing our people that having your whole family at worship is actually the best way to bless right. your family. That, mm-hmm. That's really what's yeah. going to be best for them. So just autobiographically, I yeah. grew up in a family that was really, really consistent with going to church. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I remember when I, went to, when I moved away from home and went to university... I just met all these Christian friends who had trouble going to church and mm-hmm. getting to church mm-hmm. regularly. And it wasn't because of my godliness. It was just because yeah. yeah. that's what I'd grown up with. It was just easy to go to church yeah. each week. And that made me really appreciate what my parents yeah. had done, although there were some Sundays when I wasn't all that mm-hmm. keen on it as I was growing up. Yeah. We had a similar experience with our boys. I'm not sure they were particularly godly, but <laughs> they never didn't go to church. So when they went to university, that was just what they did. It didn't cross their minds not to be right. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It also, I think, affects our view of what worship, what's happening during worship and our need for it. Um, when we concentrate investing so much in our children's sports and what they can do and what they can give and how they can perform, um, you know, are they looking at worship as something that they're, they're also receiving the means of grace and that they're coming needy and that we need that gift every single week and then to be called out into the world, you know, right. yep. with that benediction yeah. at the end. But, um, you know, if they just think that they're going to give their worship in a couple of nice songs and sit there and, and listen for a couple of minutes, you know, I think how we teach our children about what worship even is exactly. and being part of the covenant. Yeah. So the whole family, parents and children, have to be convinced of the value. Mm. And yeah. that ultimately then is responsibility of the leaders of the church to keep making that case and mm-hmm. showing people and encouraging people. And it's yeah. such a different message than what the world gives them right. throughout the week, yeah. you know, where it's very um you know individualistic and um ambitious you know that we're teaching them to be so ambitious Mm. and so here's just another area where perhaps in the past we've been able to take our cues from the surrounding culture that church going was kind of normal and acceptable well it's not now and so we have to realize here's another counter-cultural to to go every single yeah i i remember growing up in Houston, Texas in, in the 70s and blue laws still being very much right. we call them blue laws over here where uh-huh. store you know you couldn't sell liquor on Sundays couldn't get you gas on Sundays there were sections and this was this wasn't a small town in West Virginia like Amy's <laughs> from this was Houston, <laughs> Texas the fourth West largest Virginia. metropolitan area in the country and you go into any grocery store on a Sunday and they had entire sections of the grocery store darkened out and roped <laughs> off because there were whole things that you couldn't sell on a Sunday uh-huh. 
In West Virginia, I, you still can't buy alcohol until like after one thirty on a Sunday. Oh, that's got to be right. tough for you. <laughs> and, um, and 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 so so yeah. So at that time, uh, culture culture did so much. So many things in the culture did not present a roadblock for the family right. and the church. Yeah. And, and those days are over. Yeah, yeah. Do you know that the I think the one vote that Mrs. Thatcher lost in the House of Commons during her prime ministership was on liberalizing Sunday trading laws. Oh. She was defeated by a, a coalition of trade unionists and Christians on that one. I think it was the only parliamentary defeat she ever suffered. Oh. Wow. Uh, that is interesting. She had a big majority for a lot of the time. Yeah. So that yeah. was, it was He's got interesting powerful. trivia to offer us all the time, doesn't he? He does. I just want to know how we Amy has that. such an accurate knowledge of the Sunday <laughs> alcohol <laughs> licensing laws. She knows all sell, of the intricacies. They sell alcohol in the grocery stores yeah. in West Virginia, which is different yeah. from Maryland, where I'm from. Yeah. And so they would have a sign. Oh. And yeah, if you were going to try to get some beer for a football game or something. If one was inclined so to do that. If one was inclined to do that. <laughs> when I was driving through West Virginia the other Sunday then, it wasn't you that I saw pale and shaking at 11.29 or whatever it was outside the store. Looking at my watch. <laughs> All right, well, let me throw a little wrench in. I was asked an interesting, I think a very difficult question. Um, Most of the questions you get asked, you feel are difficult. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> true. I'll, I'll go ahead and give you that one. Wow. But um, what about, and I've seen this happen a couple times, where a husband and a wife are having some doctrinal differences in the church they're going to, and they disagree on which church they want to worship in. Because you know we're faced with so many options now right. of these different yeah. churches within our own town. I mean, I couldn't believe I looked up how many churches were within like a 20-mile radius and it was like close to 300, I think. Mm. Now, of course, I don't know how they define church <laughs> in Google. But, um, <laughs> but, but when you have some strong differences about worship or about uh, doctrinal, I know one was even a Calvinist Arminian difference. Oh, between um, husband and wife. Yes. Wow. And yeah. so, um, you know, uh, I had one question come in like, well, where does um, submission come in there? Mm-hmm. You know, w- and loving your wife sacrificially come in right. there? Is mm. it asking her to, to worship here where you believe right. you sh- your family should be? Or is it lovingly giving in and serving her where you feel she feels she's thriving? Hmm. <sighs> well, that's about time, though. I mean, we're about done here, right? <laughs> yeah. you go to, you know, going to two different churches just seems completely yeah. wrong. Yeah. And, I do know right. people who've ended up doing that. Uh-huh. Wow. I, I guess I'd first of all say, I mean, the situation you're describing... Um, I mean, things are not the way they should be. Mm-hmm. And so probably whatever solution we come up with is not going to be, it's not going to be the ideal. Mm-hmm. So what's going to be um, appropriate? Um, so it does highlight, doesn't it, the fact that before Christians marry, they actually should talk through some of those things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a law that says Sometimes Calvinists and Armenians can't marry, but, <laughs> right. you know, is it actually going to, I mean, are they going to worship, be able to worship together? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you grow when you're, you know, you grow spiritually after marriage, and go th- sometimes through these issues during your right. marriage. Sometimes like you it might arises. enter marriage both yeah. Yeah. believing one thing yeah. and then one spouse. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I guess one of the principles I'd operate is you usually stay c- committed to the church you're at, unless you have a really good reason to mm-hmm. leave. Mm-hmm. So my default would be you stay where you are, mm-hmm. right. unless you can really see there's a heresy or there's moral there's there's moral failure that's not being dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 
Isn't that a tough question? See, it really was a tough question. Yeah, it was <laughs> a tough question. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> that was a truly tough question. Yeah. I knew. I warned you that I was that. But it is. I've seen that happen now several times. And they were able to work it out. But, yeah. you know, one has to yeah. one has to really sacrifice something. And so that's right. tough. Mm. And, and I would have, I mean, as the spiritual leadership at that point, I think, is to say what genuinely serves my family best. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some you know, and husbands may say, well, what serves my family best is to change churches, go to a better one. Mm. But again, you've really got to make the case very yeah. clearly, don't yeah. you, that that really is going to serve them better, right. especially if you're doing it against their preference. Yeah. And it's, right. you'd think it's probably better to stay, even if you think it's not such a good church, and slowly try and win the case rather than force it. Mm-hmm. But I think every situation like that... Seems like a slow decision to make, yeah. too, instead of a quick one. Yeah. Yeah, Todd, would you ever allow a, a wife to join knowing that her husband was in another church? I don't think so. No. Um, never I, been up against that. I've never been up against that. I don't, I've never been up against that, I don't think. I, I um, you know, un, un, unless it, it wasn't a church, mm. you know, by, by any decent New Testament standards, yeah. um, I would say if, you know, clear, obvious, the obvious exceptions would be things like, you know, Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, you know, that kind of thing, because at that point you have an unbelieving spouse. And so right. I'd let the wife join. Yeah. Um, some of the trickier ones would be, let, let's say that they are part of a, a um, ultra Pentecostal word faith movement mm. type, mm-hmm. type church. And one of them becomes convinced and understands, oh, you know what, this is heresy. Mm. Um that, that's a little trickier because this group over here is still saying Jesus is Lord, but they are also indulging in things that we would identify as grave errors. And so then, yeah, that's um, that's a good question. That's uh, a tough pastoral I, issue, right? I, I, there, I would guys. lean, I would lean towards a yes there, but I, I, I would almost feel like I'd need to meet the husband. Yeah. and talk to him and difficult one to general I think it's yeah. one of those is. ethical issues that you difficult to talk about in the abstract yeah. yes. right. general level yeah because there are always so many complications right right yeah. and 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 again that's that that intersection of responsibility to the church and responsibility to my family and you hope that those things are are always congruent right and harmonious and and then there are those situations where sometimes they might yep. look like yep. they conflict yep. and then the second level you've added Carly, to, in asking that question, is then what does the pastor do in making right. a judgment yeah. about mm-hmm. right? What about those conflicting yeah. responsibilities? Yeah, yep. defers to the elders. I think right. that's, that's <laughs> right. the elders that's right. in, uh, that's yeah, right. Okay, boys, we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, how, how's the family in Australia? Uh, well, I've been travelling for almost two weeks now, so I think they're missing me. Now. I bet they are. Yeah. I yeah. bet they are. Yeah. Um, and how is the bigger family in Australia, the condition of the family. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I mean, Australian culture generally is somewhere between the US and Europe on right. the secularization right. scale. We're probably more secularized right. than, well, we're ahead of the US on secularization, but not quite where, um, where, uh, where Europe is. So, Certainly ministry to Anglo-Australians is hard work mm-hmm. and, and churches aren't growing quickly. Um, but we're also massively multicultural and it's often in the 
more recent immigrant cultures that we are seeing the gospel go ahead right. a lot faster. That's yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Where, where? I'm sorry, but where is where is the church growing? I'm not talking about geographically, but what 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 corners of the evangelical world or Protestant world in Australia where where the church seems to be showing some signs of vibrancy? Right. Um, so certainly Chinese uh-huh. in terms of ethnicity, yeah. Chinese groups, um, uh, Korean. Uh, Indonesian, Iranian, um, Arabic. Yeah. Yeah. Are there particular yeah. theological designations or denominations that seem to be thriving? Uh, so, I mean, probably different. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, of course, you know, we have one. The Houston's are doing great. Thank one, you very one much. One famous yeah. Im- export. He drives a Corvette. The- He's doing just fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, Hillsong and its parallels are, are, are big. Uh, evangelical Anglicanism is very strong in the Sydney diocese right. and in some of the other dioceses. Yeah. Um, What's it like ministering yeah. in the shadow of the beast there? In Sydney? <laughs> Sydney Anglicanism looming oh, over we, you. We're only blessed by them. You're only blessed by them. Good answer. Because they have friends in high yeah, places. They, I imagine, yeah. <laughs> the Jensen brothers. Well, I'm not sure they're quite that powerful. I think they single-handedly kept out... John Shelby Spong a number of years ago. That was gonna, he was going to come over there. Some of the Anglican churches had invited him over, and the Jensen brothers stepped up and right. basically said, "Over our dead body." Yeah, from yeah, what I read yeah. about, they're a tough, tough pair. Yeah. Tough pair. I had dinner with uh, Philip Jensen yes, when I was right. in Australia. Yeah, took yeah. me out for lunch, and yeah, yeah, he was very good at telling me what I believed about pretty much everything. <laughs> so oh, <wow. laughs> that's always nice to hear from other people. So what about uh, family worship, John, as we were wrapping up here? Any tips for listeners on, on conducting family worship? <clears throat> I mean, I think my tip would be, especially in the busyness of modern life, is just keep working at it. Keep working um, at it. And every time you fall out of the habit, get back into yeah. the habit again. Yeah. I mean, I think that's been our struggle. Our, we've got a 20-year-old son who's left and a 19, 17-year-old, daughter, 17-year-old daughter who's still at home. And, you know, our family's yeah. gone through lots of different phases and... Yeah. You get out of the habit, and then you've just got to get back in it again. What What would be one or two tips for a dad who's saying, "I want to do that. I just don't know where to go for help." In no, in I, I've never, I've never seen it done. Right. I don't know what it's yeah, lo- what yeah. it looks like. What's the best thing I can get my hands on? There are resources, but I've I've never used them. I guess yeah. I've always just gone for let's read a part of yep. the Bible, yeah. talk about it for a few minutes, and pray together. That's perfect. And if we do that. Just keep that's it good. simple. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's going to make any money out of that. Writing a syllabus or something. It just so happens I'm working on a book right now. Okay, good. The, the Family Worship <laughs> Niche Bible. Yeah. John McLean, oh, general no. editor. So. Oh, no. oh, well, I think we've solved all the family world's problems, mm-hmm. most of them anyway, and asked ask some pretty hard questions. So thank you so much, John, for being on okay. here. Thanks and for having thank me. you for uh, playing along with our hard questions <laughs> as well. And thanks for listening. Um, please check out our website at mortificationofspin.org, and we'll talk to you next time.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. Head over to mortificationofspin.org to further the conversation by reading articles at the Mortification of Spin blog and to find a message by Joel Naderhood called The Covenant of Family. And listen next week when the team talks about Sometimes there are questions that come up in the Christian life that are more complicated perhaps than they first appear. Uh, For example, one issue that we want to look at today is can a Baptist marry a Pedobaptist? On the one hand, they're both Christians, so there's no question about marrying outside of, of Christ there. But what about when the children come along? If the Pedobaptist is not allowed by their partner to baptize the children, then in their own theological framework, they're being disobedient. So can a Christian marry another Christian knowing that they may actually have to be disobedient or act against their conscience at some point? It's a perplexing question, and we hope to offer some light on it in this podcast. That's next time. Till then, head over to mortificationofspin.org to read, comment, and subscribe to the blog, and also to catch up on past episodes. We'll talk to you next week. I always remember, John, my lasting memory of you is I was in my hotel room I in Sydney. I knew the story. I got the stomach bug. I was dying. And I called, John had always said to me, if you get in any trouble, just call me this number. So I called John and said, hey, John, and all I hear is, I've got time to talk now. Call no, me back later. No, that's so not suck. what you <laughs> What you heard is, I can't hear you. Ring me on my home phone. Was it? Yeah, but no. I hadn't given you But I hadn't given you my home phone. But <laughs> well, I, I didn't know who it was. I knew that I continued phone. to die in this yeah, hotel yeah, room without help. That is hilarious, John. That's Australian hospitality. <laughs>